The fear of death is built into mankind. Why? Because God's law is written on our hearts, Romans 2.15, and God is just. Also, the fear of the unknown would be another reason why fear of death is in mankind. Today, fear is marketed by Halloween, economics, politicians, and even the media. But fear is not for the genuine believer. In fact, it's probably a sin. Over 365 times in the Bible, it says, fear not. That's one for every day of the year. <clears throat> Live life to be faithful, not safe. Welcome to Cross Point Baptist Church. This morning, we want to make the pulpit today about preaching, not about politics. We want to make the pulpit today about preaching, not even being politically correct. We want to make the pulpit today about preaching, with passion, by the way, and not about pandering to ideology and, and, and what people think and what's comfortable to hear and what is not comfortable to hear. We get to open the Word of God today. <clears throat> We're going to open the Word of God right now. You're going to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to hear from God through the Word, and then we will have a reason to praise and worship. Our music aspect will be toward the latter part of the time that we spend together. Hebrews chapter 2, as you're turning there, I would say welcome to Cross Point Baptist Church. Today is a day full of a lot of um, <clears throat> anticipation and perhaps even uh, activity this season, my goodness, as we think about our church, how many uh, ministries that we want to call ministries, if indeed we do them from a heart given over to God. But today we'll serve as we open God's word and then open in a word of prayer, today we'll serve as the topic that is on our world's uh, um, uh, mind today, because it's October 31st. It's what's known as Halloween, right? And instead of talking about the evils of it and the origins and all those things, and then talking about <clears throat> that for the believer, it's, it's what you make it. Death kind of goes at the top of the list. ...as it is being propagated today. But it's a reality for each and every person within earshot today. Today's an old school message. You may think, well, why are you starting like this? And we keep talking about preaching and passion. Is it because you've been, it's all been pent up for several weeks? Is that what's going on here? No. There's been a rekindling, though. There has been a, 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 a call... Back to why we do what we do. Question, why are you here today? Why did you make that effort to get up a little earlier, perhaps, than you would have liked? Maybe <clears throat> um, uh, cleaned up, got the clothes on, got all gussied up, got the kids ready in the car. We drank a pot of coffee to get here. Why did you choose to be here today? There's a reason why you came. 
I wonder what your heart's answer is there. Let's bow for, bow for prayer as we talk about this topic this morning and the word of God as it relates to our heart. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being truthful and not distant. May we today use the pulpit and take this time frame to fall on truth so that we can look into that perfect mirror known as the word of God and see the reflection of our soul to see where we are, where we're headed, and where we came from. We're looking to you for life. We're looking to you for hope in all these things in this busy time of life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today could serve as a learning curve for some. Some may hear these topics, and they're hard topics to hear this last, with, even within the last week. I've been at or partially officiated two funeral services. There's no escaping the reality that we're not going to live on this earth in this state forever. Now, if you're a believer, you could say amen to that. But if you do not know Christ, you're going to struggle with that. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Now listen, this is hard truth that we're sharing this morning. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, that means we're living as we live and breathe, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. You know what I found something interesting is that if all the religions of the world, all of them, they, they, there's so many different, there's cults and there's different ways that people look at, at, at uh, God, how to approach God, what is God, who is God, how do we get to God, where there's many different ideologies and religions out there, they all have one thing in common. They all still recognize the same devil. All world religions recognize the same evil. And in verse 14, it's saying, just like me and you were living in this world, chapter, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Christ lived in this world the same. But see, but through his death, something <clears throat> very powerful happened in his death that he, uh, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And then verse 15 echoes another level to that. And this is why I can say with confidence that mankind, womankind, has a fear of death within us, built within them. Verse 15 says, And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The fear of death can cripple you. The fear of death will cripple you. Sounds like the devil has the power of death in verse 14. In fact, uh, the Bible would agree that he did with Adam and Eve. <clears throat> which brings the fear of death. Which can keep you in a lifetime of bondage, verse 15. If you're apart from Christ, this is you. Toward the end of our study today, we're going to reread these verses properly. But know this, the devil doesn't have the power of death. He had the power of death. 
Look in verse 14 with me once again. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, meaning Christ, likewise shared in the same, that through his death he destroyed him who has the power, who had. Say had. Had. That's past tense. At one point he had it. He had it in the garden. He had it. He was the instrument to bring evil to this earth. He was the instrument to bring death to this earth. But he had it. Something has changed. And we saw in verse 14 that it can, it can cripple the person that does not fully understand the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It'll cripple you. It'll haunt you. Can I tell you another place that death is marketed? I talked about in, in economics and politicians and media and Halloween, all those things. There's another world out there, and I'm not mentioning this topic to bring up a controversial topic, but there's a certain culture that likes that look of death. It just likes the look of death, and it's the tattoo culture. Have you noticed that? You're like, oh, see, he's talking about the sins of a tattoo. I ever showed you my tattoo? See, you don't even know if I have one or not. Now I'm going to leave you to wonder. But there's a marketing that happens out there that you have to be very, very careful of. Death for the person that does not know Jesus Christ is something to be feared. It's, it, it, it's, it's the fear of what is beyond. It's the fear also of the unknown. So let me again say some hard truths from the Bible this morning. I don't care where this lands. I'm not concerned with somebody's going to hear this and be offended. Somebody may get up and walk out. In fact, it may be easier for some people tonight, this morning, on Facebook just to turn it off and go do something else. They may not want to hear what the Bible has to say. Turn with me to Job chapter 1. I'm going to show you something that, again, you may not like. I cannot rewrite and I cannot restate to my liking or your liking what the Bible states. I will not do that. Job chapter 1, you guys know the story of Job for the biggest part. Job uh, was an upright and just man. He followed the Lord um, without giving a lot of the backstory. We know that there's a dialogue that happens between the devil and God, Satan as God. Uh, God brings up Job's name, not the devil. <clears throat> Let me touch his stuff and he will curse you is, is basically the dialogue. And I want you to look at something, though, on who gives and who takes life. Now, it says in, in Hebrews that the devil had the power of that death. But I want you to see something. The oldest book written in the Bible is actually Job. It's not Genesis. Job is the oldest book. Job chapter 1, verse 17, it says, While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands. They ra raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servant and the two uh, with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While I was still speaking, another also came, and while he was still speaking, <clears throat> Another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine 
in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. Notice this. Job just had some very traumatic events in his life. Very traumatic. He lost a lot of people to death. He lost a lot of people to murder. And it doesn't say at the end of verse 20 that he cursed the devil. It says that he worshipped. And look at what he says in verse 21. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what Job recognized? Even though life had been murdered and destroyed, he recognized the truth. Uh, uh, he recognized a realism that God gives life and God takes it away. You may not, that is not a comfortable message right there, I understand. Why would an all-loving God take life? Why didn't Job curse and blame evil? Though Satan is the instrument to introduce death, it's still God's call. Job 14, 5, Psalm 166, uh, sorry, Psalm uh, 66, 9 and 10. And now I'm going to have on the screen Psalm 139, verse 16. I'm going to share this one verse that David's writing in Psalm 139, 16 on the screen. Here's why. This is a verse that I have read many times. But in Grief Share on Thursday nights, I saw an application to this one verse that I had not seen before. Many people in the passing of a loved one, you tend to go, oh, what if? What if I would have done more? What if I would have been there more? Why didn't I share? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I make that call? Why didn't I get in that doctor and make, make the doctor do something? You can play the what ifs all day long in your mind. This verse, for those that tend to do that, is guilt-freeing. Watch what it says. Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being unformed. Before you were formed, God knows. His omniscience. He's all-knowing. God knows. <clears throat> and in your book, they all were written. What well, all was written? Everything about you and every day about you. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. You know what that means? That God knows your birth date and he knows your death date. He knows. So you can do the what ifs all day long, but would it have changed? Not according at least to that scripture. I'm going to ratchet it up a notch. And even say some, read from the book of Luke, even some more hard truths that you may not like to hear. And here's the question, who casts who into hell? Or is it whom there? Which one is it, Karen? Brittany, can you help me out? Is it who or whom? Okay, good. These are my English correction teachers over here, so they keep me straight. Luke chapter 12. Turn with me to the book of Luke. 
Are you picking up what's being read this morning? Are you listening? It's heavy. It's not dark. I promise this isn't dark. This is truth. Truth is light. Watch what happens here. Who cast who into hell? Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. Look at what it says. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do to you. We are fearful of mankind and each other of what can happen to us. And the worst that they can do is kill our body. That's it. Jesus is speaking in verse 5. He says, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. What is Jesus speaking of here? He's saying, don't, why do we fear mankind? We fear each other. The worst they can do is, is, is take your life. But verse 5, he says, I'm going to show you something way beyond that. Who you should fear. He's speaking to the unbeliever. Fear him. See that word him, capital H, that's referring to our God. Fear God. Why? After he has taken life, he has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. I know it's not a popular message. You know what the popular message that I've even adopted over the years? Is that God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves to hell. We hear the information of the gospel and we don't repent from sin and, and God's not casting that. God's not, we, we, the individuals put themselves in that predicament. That verse in verse 5 says, I will show you whom you should fear. Remember, we opened by saying the believer should, a genuine believer should have no fear. And yet we're told 365 times in the Bible to fear not. But there is a fear to those that do not know Christ. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into Hell, yes, I say to you, fear him. God casts unrepentant sinners into hell. Yes, the individuals are culpable at the same time. Again, for some listening right now, it may be easier to turn this off. It may be easier to exit. You don't want to hear it. If I just don't think about it, it won't be true. Oh, you just fooled yourself right there. There's no denying some truths of the Bible. The devil doesn't cast people into, into hell. In fact, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, hell and the devil are cast into the lake of fire. We're there in Luke. Look over on the page in your Bible to Luke 13, verse 1 through 5. We're right there. Look, look right there and see more words from Christ as he walked this earth. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but all are going to die. Did you know that? We're all going to step off this earth in one way, shape, form, or fashion. The thing is, we just don't know when. Look at what Christ says in verse Luke 13. He says, there were present at the season some who told him about the Galileans who whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So there was a, a, a murdering that took place, a legal murdering, because it was by a political power. So they had the law on their side, so it was legal. And it was mingled, but it was to the Galileans. In verse 2, and Jesus answered and said to them as they were talking about that, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than, than 
all other Galileans because they suffered such things? Are, are they worse because they had a, a horrible death? Look in verse 3. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So don't, don't think that because they died that way that, that God didn't, they were a, a, a worse level or a worse condition of a human being. He says, but unless you repent, you're all going to die. You're all going to perish. Or in verse 4, those 18 on whom the tower um, Salome fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse? And Jesus is bringing up another story. Were they worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What is Jesus saying in verses 1 through 5? That we're all going to die. You just don't know when. You don't know when. You don't know how. But that's still not what makes it so fearful. What makes death so fearful is no hope. No hope. Remember this. That, that even life on earth without Hope is empty. It's empty. I can prove it. Look on the screen with me to Proverbs 13, 12. I'm going to have Spencer put that on the screen, and then we're going to go keep your finger there in Luke, because we're going to go back to Luke. But if you look in Proverbs verse <clears throat> 13, verse 12, look at what it says. Look at the power of hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you're living this earth and you don't see hope for tomorrow, hope for the next year, hope for the future, it can make you sick, sickening. It can cripple you from the inside out. You know, we talk about this a lot, the quality of life. When you hit a certain age and you're looking at, they've done all they can do medically and there's still some chances we could do this or that and you hear that term a lot, the, the, the quality of life. And if you can't see that hope, you can just shut it off. In fact, I bet if we were to, by a show of hands, if we were to do this, you could see people that could raise their hand and say, I know somebody who just gave up in life. Why'd you just give up? Because you couldn't see the hope. Look what that verse says. Hope deferred, where there is no hope. Now remember, that hope isn't, I hope it happens. Hope is a factual uh, event that you can see and it's right there within your grasp, the truth of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when the heart's sick, by the way, when your heart's sick, the rest of the body will follow. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of, a tree of life. Most people expect heaven. Most people aren't headed there. I mean, think, Pastor, how can you say that? You're so arrogant. How could you say that? You know why? Because Jesus says there's a wide way and there's a narrow way. There's few who find that narrow way. That's how I know. That's what the Bible says. Many people expect heaven but aren't headed there. The text I want us to look at this morning is in Luke 16. It's a parable that Jesus tells. It's another page over, perhaps, in your Bible. As we think about <clears throat> Christ sharing these words, 
and he does something. One of my favorite ways of learning is this right here. I love this one. Compare and contrast. Compare and contrast. You do it all the time. Remember when you're shopping and you're, whether it's online or at the store, you compare and contrast. Carla does this. She'll go to three stores to save a dime on apples, and she spent 50 cents in gas driving around. I, it, but whatever. Compare, contrast, reversal, and then warning is what Jesus Christ does here in this parable. Verses 16 through 31 of Luke 16. Compare, contrast, reversal, and a warning. Doesn't that sound like we can reach out and grab that? This is as low-hanging fruit here. When Jesus goes, compare, we're going to contrast, see how they're different. We're going to see how he does a reversal from what you think life is, and then he gives a warning. Heed the warning. In verses 19 of Luke 16, he says, There was a rich, remember this is a parable, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at the gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Being in torments, torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Then Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But know uh, he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers <clears throat> that he would testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Verse 29, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Then he, and he said, No, Father Abraham, and if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. In this parable, this story that Jesus is telling, we want to be careful. We want to, we want to get all we can out of it, but we don't want to add to it and say what he didn't say. We want to be careful with parables because this was not a real live event. But the rich man believed, desired, and even assumed heaven. And the theology of the day was that God gave his stamp of approval on this rich man by blessing him with health and with wealth. Two things I think that we all desire. And, and remember, these things aren't evil in and of themselves. Health and wealth. That was just the theology of the day. They would teach that God is blessing. Look at how God is moving in this person's life. Imagine what heaven's going to be like for them. 
But the reverse was also a true, not a true, but a common theology of the day. That a beggar named Lazarus was cursed by God. Why? Because he had poverty. He had sickness. He didn't have things going his way. I wonder if we still do that today. Hmm. We're not supposed to admit this, or maybe we don't want to admit it. But do even believers, genuine believers, look at people's lives and go, what a pity, what a shame. If they would just give their life to God, he would turn their life around and they would have more stuff. They would have better means. They would, they would have all these things. I wonder if we do that today. I think even as believers, we're still amazed by people that have wealth. People that have stuff. I've had it, haven't, in years past, I've had people say, I feel like I'm holding this like I'm at a cocktail party or something. I've had people say, hey, pastor, not so much in our church, but even people around. You know what you need in your church? You need some people that are well off, like lawyers and doctors. They make a lot of money. And then they, you teach them how to give and you teach them how to tithe. We don't need that. That's, that's exactly what we don't need. In fact, we're probably got our, you will be having your eyes on the wrong thing, if that's our motive. I wonder if we do that today. We look at health and wealth in people and think that God is blessing them so much. You know what the Bible says about health, and about, mainly about wealth? That, and this is why in the parable and in the Bible when it talks about rich, it's not that the, the rich are evil. It was, it was synonymous with the theology of the day. That's why that uh, imagery is used here. Let's do a little compare. The rich man had food in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He lived life to the full. He had food. Lazarus had none. Look in verse 20. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Why was he begging? He needed food. Full of sores who was laid at the gate. The rich man was healthy. Verse 19. Lazarus was sick. Verse 20. The rich man was comfortable. Verse 19. Lazarus was in misery. Verse 20. The rich man was popular. He feasted. We assume with people around. Lazarus was alone. Look in verse 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell at the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. I didn't know this until studying for this, but one thing, this is where this imagery comes to play even better. One thing they would do is they, if they had stale bread, they would use that as a type of napkin, believe it or not. So bread was very common food. Uh, and as they would have fresh bread, but they would have sauces and things like that, and your hands would get oily, they would take the stale bread and dry their hands off and throw it out for crumbs. That's where the imagery would now make sense, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the table. They would literally take these stale pieces of bread and throw them in a corner and eventually discard them to presumably animals and things of this nature. That's the food that was begged for. So picture Lazarus begging for a crumb that somebody used an old piece of bread as a napkin. Let me have that for substance. Let me begging for that just for something to eat. 
I snuck into Bible Quest this morning. I was listening to Danielle. She was teaching about Joseph and the, the, the famine calves, uh, cows and then the, the, the healthy ones. And um, she had mentioned that in our country, in, in Bible Quest, none of us really probably have lived through a famine. right? We know what it is to be famished. That means we skipped lunch. <laughs> but that deep... Hunger. This is why I love the senior adults of our church. When you really get into their lives, many, many people that in this room grew up sometimes with no food on the table. Many. But that's still not a famine. Famish and famine are two different things. But to beg for food. Think about how humiliating. To beg for scraps that aren't even healthy just to have substance for the next day that's the imagery of the two that's being set up here verse 22 is where the reversal so there was the compare and the contrast let's look at the reversal starts in verse 22 so it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to abraham's bosom and the rich man also died and was buried lazarus is carried to heaven in verse 22 the rich man was buried. Lazarus went up. The rich man went down. In fact, Lazarus stood next to the founder of the faith known as Abraham. The founder of the nation. This parable would be repulsive to the Israel, Israel that's listening. It would be repulsive. Not him. Him. He should be the one next to the founder of our nation, the founder of our faith. Lazarus is ushered to heaven by angels, but the rich man had a funeral. Something interesting, there's no, there's no word in this parable about, the, about Lazarus even having a funeral service of any type, of honoring life of any type. In fact, he was probably in the parable... There's a place in the outside of Jerusalem known as Guiana, which was a, a continual burning pile of garbage and also dead bodies. Bodies, unclaimed bodies, or bodies that were unclaimed and unwanted. So that word Guiana, by the way, many times is used for the word hell in the Bible. So when, when the word Guiana is used, talk referring to hell, they could literally look out and maybe smell or see or know where that burning dump is of the burning bodies. That's hell. The burning, the torment. Lazarus, the guy was all kinds of messed up, all kinds of earthly problems, was ushered into the paradise side of Hades by angels. No recognition down here, but recognition where it mattered. But the rich man was buried. That is the inclination of a service, a mourning that had happened. But then he went down. Lazarus is now healthy and whole. The rich man is in torment, verse 23. Lazarus is satisfied. The rich man hungered for comfort, in verse 24. Lazarus had companionship the rich man's all alone in verse 24 
the rich man had hope when he was on this earth, but it was a false hope. There starts an application for some today. There starts an application for some watching by Facebook. For an application for some that is put off this topic of eternal life. Do you have hope in eternal life? The rich man had that hope of it, but it was a false hope. Lazarus doesn't even speak a word in this parable. Have you noticed that? Not one word. You know why? Because he doesn't have to. By the way, if you notice in this parable that people in heaven have names, we don't see that in hell. We hear Abraham, you hear Lazarus, but you don't hear the rich man's name. And by the way, write this down. The name Lazarus means who the Lord helps. What a beautiful name in this story that Jesus is telling. The name Lazarus means who the Lord helps. The Lord helped Lazarus. By the way, here's another truth that we need to come face to face with. That hell is a conscience place. It's real. Look at the rich man in this parable. He knows he's there forever, and he doesn't ask to be removed, and he doesn't ask to be released. Remember the old saying that hell's really hot and forever's a long time? What does he say? Look in verse 24. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, that, for I am tormented in this flame. You know what's interesting about that? You may think, well, there's so many, well, you're going to draw something out of here, right, Pastor Scott, about being able to be comforted. I think what stood out to me the most here is that this rich man, even from that position of torment, still thinks Lazarus is inferior to him. And wants him to be the messenger boy. It's one way to look at it. No crumbs for the rich man. Look in verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things. And likewise, Lazarus, the evil things. And by the way, that word evil doesn't mean things from the devil. It just means bad things. That's all in the eyes of the recipient. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Verse 25, heaven now reverses what the world calls success. The great reversal. Look in verse 26. And besides all this, between us and, and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. That great gulf fixed, it's, it's something that can't be moved or removed. There's no way to bridge that. So here's the application. Here's the questions I want you to think about. Why did the rich man end up in hell? Why did he end up there? Look in verse 27 and 28. Then he said, and Jesus is speaking in this parable, then Jesus said, I beg you, therefore, or the rich man, father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Why did the rich man end up in hell? 
the implication of verse 27 and 28 in this parable that the rich man is saying is that he and the family, they lacked the information they needed. They needed more convincing. I needed more convincing. My brothers need more convincing. He became an evangelist on the torment side of Hades. Why did the rich man end up in hell? Look in verse 29. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. The word is the final word. Why did the rich man end up in hell? He didn't adhere to the word of God. If people will not believe the world, the, the word, supernatural events won't happen. Let me repeat that. Let me rephrase that. If people will not believe the word, supernatural events won't help. Oh, you'll be mesmerized. Supernatural events will mesmerize you, but they're going to come and go. You're going to want more. We see that throughout the Bible. If you want to avoid hell, go to the Bible. Cross Point Baptist Church. Let me say that line again. Because if you're a genuine believer today, it's because the implanted word which was able to save your soul has made its way into your soul. And you turned from your sin. You repented and you came to Christ. You came to him fully. You fell on the cross. You fell on the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You said, be merciful to me. Take my life because I, I can't do anything with it. That word is what's made its way to your heart. If you want to avoid hell, you go to the Bible. That's where you go. Where else are you going to go? Where are you going to go? You're not going to find someone who's been to hell and back. Except for Jesus Christ, and that's maybe, and that's in 1 Peter 3, 8, 18 through 20. But you're not going to find someone who's been to hell and back. and is going to rock your world. Yeah, there's people out there that have claimed to have done that. There's movies about it. There's books about it. Verse 31. But he said to, uh, let, let me read verse 30. And he said to them, no, Father Abraham, but if he goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And it's interesting what happens here is the rich man is telling Abraham, who's in the paradise side of Haiti, who's in the area where he cannot like and only speak the truth, he's telling him, what will happen, and how life works. The rich man who butchered everything in his life and ended up in hell is now telling Abraham how life will work on earth. What does Abraham say? And he said in verse 31, but he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they do not hear the word, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Supernatural events, they come and go, but the word of God abides forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, and many other scriptures that talk about the word of God. People without Christ need to be afraid. People without Jesus Christ, first and foremost in your life, trading your life for his need to be scared. Turn with me back to that Hebrews chapter 2 <clears throat> one last time. 
There's no downside to this text when we read it and interpret it and apply it properly. There's no downside here. Trading his life for yours. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. He walked this earth with us, yet without sin. That through death he might destroy him who had, say had, the power of death that is the devil. He defeated the devil at the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He's never a match for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's where you place your life. That's where you place your faith. Or you don't. I can't convince you. I'm not that good of a salesman. Other people and events may move you, but not convince you. It's the implanted word of God. And look at verse 15. Live your life in light of these two verses, Christian, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Fear. Release those who are trapped in the fear of death. Release those who are scared. You know what I found out about life? Is there still comes to this time when you're perhaps sick and you're at death's door or, or, or you're at a certain point in life or uh, an event happens and, and, and you're in a car wreck or, or something like that where your life flashes before your eyes. You may have that second of, I don't want to leave this earth, what's, what's, what's next? The truth is, we don't fully know. The Bible gives us an, some direction and we read the word of God, but we know this, that for the believer, you don't have to fear. That there's an excitement there if you don't have to fear. I'm going to tell you about somebody who did not have to fear. This lady is about this tall, and then she became that tall. That modeled for me, modeled for you, a life given over to Jesus Christ. A woman that by her stature, you would think, well, she's weak and feeble. But yet she was as strong of a, of a faithful, believing person that I've ever met in my life. Her name is Myrtle Malone. She did not have to fear. Why did she not have to fear? She, she didn't have the ability to fight. She didn't have the ability. And by the way, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood anyways, in case you forget that. Our battle is spiritual. But here this feeble-looking woman had no fear. A person of faithful, consistent prayer. A person of the Bible. This person has no fear of stepping off this earth. I hold in my hand a plaque. This plaque was on the podium that was built for her for her silent word ministry that she had at our church for decades and decades and decades. Many of you were able to be at her funeral service or going home on Wednesday, some of you, most of you probably were not. It was 
way up in Georgetown. But this serves, this is the last time you're going to see this plaque. It was on the, the podium for all these years, and I've kept that podium for a long time to be able to give this to Harry, to Marcia, and to Myrtle. So after today, you won't see this. It'll be in the family's hands as a reminder of wife, mother, our sister in Christ. Burnham alone has no fear in death. I can say that with confidence. Because I've preached many a message about stepping off this earth and into the presence of God or not. And she would be right here or back there sign languaging what I'm sharing from the Bible. She taught me things about spiritual life that I did not know as of yet. In my 20s or, or as I'm learning and growing, I would go into a room in the old building. I shared on Wednesday that the building then, it kind of felt like a prison. It was cinder blocks with no windows. A lot of the rooms were like that. But there's a beauty in that. There's no distractions. And in that room was simply put up scriptures, framed scripture. And one of those scriptures was in 2 Timothy. And I quote that, this scripture all the time. This is how powerful, this is the, how powerful scripture is and what it can do in your life. That one verse, I would just look at it. And I was in there, I was trying to do my own devotion or quiet time. And I kept staring at that picture. That scripture that's written in that frame. There is but one God. One mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. That scripture against that white cinder. It was a cinder block painted white. That picture spoke directly to my heart. I knew that I knew looking at that that there is only one God. And he was gracious enough to share his love with me and to bring me to repentance and to show me his grace and to give me accessibility to him to be made whole. And there's no fear in death. No fear in death. How do I know that? Because I have to step off this earth in order to be in his presence. And it just so happens his presence is a place called heaven. Today serves as a learning curve. Perhaps you've learned something about God that you did not know. Today would also serve as a reminder of your walk and your salvation. You may need to revisit that. Don't take it for granted. But it also serves as a warning. It serves as a warning to those that have maybe playing the game. That have said, I'm not having fallen on the cross. I haven't fallen on the person of Jesus Christ by faith. When you have that, you have life and you have life eternal. Let's bow our heads for a moment. We're going to draw some application and then I'm going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to worship by way of music those listening tonight, uh, this morning, I want to encourage you to also listen tonight at 5 o'clock, not 7 o'clock, but 5 o'clock for our Facebook 
I'm going to be sharing a, a very popular track that we use here at Crosspoint. And that track is ultimately the gospel message that I hope you have taken home with you. And that if you participate in trick-or-treating, that you would hand these tracks out. And if the conversation were to arise, you'd be able to share. Lord, take this time as the praise band is now on stage and make it your own. Do a work in your heart, in our hearts. Because here's the truth, is we need you. And this is a truthful message today. Heaven is real, hell is real. Take this time frame. Make it a altar call time frame. Make it a worshipful time frame as the praise band leads us. This next several songs that are played are for your bidding. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with Andrew and the praise team as they lead us? We have a reason now to sing into worship as the word of God has been proclaimed. Andrew.
announcements, please. And <clears throat> remind uh, of two things. Um, one is that this Tuesday is an election day, so uh, if you haven't voted yet, make sure to uh, make sure to vote. It's your civic duty. Um, the ballot is not real long. I've already voted. Uh, I do know that there are five candidates for trustee. You'll be voting for two and then there's some other things on there as well. Then the other thing I wanted to mention is that next Sunday, Brad, Brother Brad's gonna give you a bunch of announcements. It's also our veteran service. So if you know a veteran that has served our country, invite them, we encourage you to uh, be here as well, but invite them as well as we give, um, one, we wanna do our civic duty on Tuesday, and two, uh, give honor to where honor is due. Brad. <clears throat> All right, as Pastor mentioned, there are many things. I'm just gonna go through the, the following week. There are seven announcements, but I'm gonna go through them quickly. So tonight you heard Facebook Live will be at five o'clock. Be sure to tune in for that. Wednesday, we have uh, the birthday and luncheon that was postponed from this past week. It'll be this Wednesday at 11.30 at Golden Corral. If you have questions about that, um, see Miss Betty. That's for, for men and women. It used to be the, the birthday girls, but they're, they're opening it up to anybody that wants to join them at Golden Corral. Uh, Wednesday night is family night. That'll be here at the church, 6.30. That's a one word of life and adult Bible study. Thursday, uh, Andrew and Spencer will have the way at West Claremont High School, so we'd appreciate your prayers. They've had uh, great crowds showing up, so we want to continue to pray for them. And then Thursday night, we have grief share here at the church at 7 o'clock. They also have an event coming up on the 13th later this month for surviving the holidays. We'll announce more about that in the coming weeks. Um, then Next Saturday night, going into Sunday morning, is time change Sunday, falling back an hour. Wanted to announce that. Make sure that you fall back an hour, get an extra hour of sleep, but make sure you change your clocks as well. Sunday morning, as Pastor mentioned, will be the Veterans Day service, uh, so we'll be honoring our veterans. And then in the afternoon, we have Fall Fest from 4 to 7. So it's going to be a busy week, but we will be preparing for Fall Fest next week. Again, 4 to 7, we'll be showing up probably no later than 3 o'clock, probably before then, to begin setting up the church outside, getting ready for that. So if you have any questions about those, see Miss Betty. She's in the back. With that, you are dismissed. <laughs>